0: The, the, the good news with all of this is that this means that Matt's going to have to do some editing. Hello, and welcome to Maine Education Matters. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Matt Drewett Card. I am your host for this episode today, and uh, thank you again for downloading and subscribing and following us along. Uh, We hope that this uh, podcast provides a little bit of help and whatever it is for you, um, whether you're on the treadmill washing dishes or in the car, wherever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're listening to it, whatever you're doing. Um, Anyway, today is part three of a continuing conversation that I'm having about the new learning facilitators program that has been launched by the partnership between the Maine Department of Education and Eastern Maine Community College. And to help us start this conversation to refresh everyone's mind, I have with us uh, from the Maine Department of Education, the Educator Effectiveness Coordinator, Emily Dowdy. Welcome back, Emily. Thanks for having me, Matt. And Megan London, the co-chair of the Education Committee at Eastern Maine Community College. Megan, welcome back.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, we are more than happy to have you back. We're glad to have you back to join us and talk about this uh, conversation. We're gonna go a little bit of a different route this time, but before we do that, before we bring in our other guests, spoiler alert, uh, Megan and Emily, would would you mind just giving a quick recap for our listeners as to what this program, what this thing is that we're doing? that we're talking about here.
1: Sure, so the program, the Learning Facilitator Program is a fast track training program um, for paraprofessional level staff. And it was created in partnership with the Maine Department of Education and Eastern Maine Community College, and uh, consists of a boot camp that's a week long to get people started. Lots of core training um, in classroom management and fundamental skills. Um, they're eligible to work in schools after that time. And then for the extended portion of the program, there's a um, highly supported mentorship process and. Um, you know, uh, the participants are working in the schools and they have a mentor teacher at the school as well as participate in community of practice meetings. And there's a facilitator from the community college system that is um, uh, engaging students in more learning, deeper learning throughout that time period. Um, And then at the end, they receive the learning facilitator micro-credential.
0: So this is an opportunity then for anyone who want who might mm-hmm. be interested in becoming an educator, to start the path to becoming an educator, even if Absolutely. they thought around, along themselves wherever they are in their life in their life's mm-hmm. journey, um, to think to themselves, well, maybe I want to do something different, or I've always wanted to try something like this. I've always loved working or being with kids, but you know I was doing my my busy my other life. This is an entry point. Do so I have that Absolutely. correct?
1: Yes, you do, yeah, we, um, you know, as long as you have an interest in working with kids really um, and you're able to get fingerprinted, then uh, we will happily accept you into the program. And we actually have a wide variety of folks that are participating, um, folks who have transitioned from other uh, careers, other, you know, some who have become unemployed because of the pandemic. And actually we have several folks who are working in EdTech tech one and two in positions that would like to upskill. Mm. Um, you know, toward the EdTech3 um, certification that is also eligible. They're also eligible for that at the end of uh, the program after they've completed the program. So
0: that's great. Because I, I wanted to make sure that Emily was able to talk about that a little bit too. I want to talk with you, Emily, in particular about the certification side of it, because that is one of the, um, in my humble, humble opinion, one of the most game changing aspects of this program is that they go through this in this innovative new way and they get credentialed. They get a, a, a main Department of Education certification, correct? That is true. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that the people who were going through this program really had the opportunity, that they're in a supported and scaffolded process. They're doing the coursework. They're doing this in a very quick timeframe, but they are getting everything they'll need to earn an EdTech mm. three. So we did issue a statement a few weeks back um, and that can be found on our website if anyone has questions about that. But an EdTech three would be what
1: people who complete this successfully would be eligible for.
0: So the, the reason why I'm, I'm so jazzed about this, and yes, I use the word jazzed and I'm not ashamed of it, um, is that I, I got into the education world from a non-traditional means. I don't have an education degree as a bachelor's um my my college didn't have that as a major and it was one of those things that i really fell in love with while i was like a senior in college i have a philosophy degree what do you do with a philosophy degree i can think on a mountain somewhere um but it was one of those things that later on i found a a, a, like a program to get me that kind of ed techish on the job type training to get me the experience and the other stuff that i needed so it's not just for those people for folks who have been out of in other other you know, careers for whatnot but it could be for someone who's just been going through their college education really early on and said you know what i'm i'm not loving this i'm going to finish my degree but quite frankly i might want to then go put my degree to application in the education realm and i i that's I, one of the reasons why i'm just so appreciative of what this program is doing because it does hit personal host home to me because it was one of those things that you know i would have i would have sought i didn't actually did see something like that but my story is a little bit different um so bringing into the conversation i'd like to bring in a couple of other people uh for this a different perspective we've we've talked about we talked with emily and megan before about just the general scope of the project and we've also talked with some of the people going through uh this a couple of the ed techs themselves and a couple of the counselors and mentors and today we're going to get it from the administrative side the the more of the um, maybe a 10 more 10,000 foot viewish perspective, not a 30,000, which is where the whole program looks at, but a 10,000 foot view at the, either district or building level. And so I'd like to welcome into the conversation, uh Girton, as the principal of Leonard Middle School. How are you? Thank you very much for joining us on Maine Education Matters.
2: I'm great, Matt, thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's, it's completely my pleasure. Also joining the conversation is the Director of Curriculum Instruction Assessment for RSU 34 and, the 2020 Main Curriculum Leader of the Year, John Doty. John, it is an honor, sir. Thank you for ha- coming to us.
3: Yay. Otherwise, Matt, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having us.
0: Oh, like I said, it is completely my pleasure because, again, you're, do- you're doing me the favor for, for, <laughs> for coming on to this ridiculous thing that we do, uh, and have a little fun along the way, hopefully, and maybe do some good. So let's talk about your experiences so far. Let's just start at the principal level, and we'll work our way up to the curriculum leader um because you know the curriculum leaders we're, we just we just live high in the sky we just live in this big <laughs> idea where we, we're all in the ethereal plane but you're down there you're you're down there at that you're, you're 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 down there with them so why did you get involved in this program let's talk about that to begin with
2: well i've been involved in the conversations for several years but i'll let dr doty talk about that he's he was actually the person who got those going so I will I'll let him talk about that piece Um, but as a principal there are we always have jobs to fill and we don't have a lot of people to fill those jobs we are looking for great people who want to be in education who want to work with kids who want to learn how to work with kids well and and we want to support those people that's why I got involved in the program not to mention that Megan and, and Jane are just wonderful people to work with as well as Dr. Doty
0: so what, what I'm hearing you say is that education is a people-oriented business or...
2: Absolutely. Institution if, you, if we can thing. get people who are interested in working with kids and who love working with people, um, we can help Wait. them with the rest.
0: So I'm having trouble wrapping my head around this. Kids are people too?
2: <laughs> it's a strange idea, but Yes. <laughs>
0: Okay, because, you know, sometimes we're just taught to think that they're just a product that, you know, that they're just a number that, that, that he's moved along, but they're actually people. And if we can have people working with people in a people-centered product, I'm saying people a lot. Um, it's it's one of those things that will, you want quality people, you want good people, and you're hitting on a real thing that we're really facing close to home these days uh, as we're, um, as we've been dealing with so much is capacity. Yes, you
2: know? yes. And we want we want people who are going to help kids discover what really matters what really matters about themselves what really sure. matters in the world and um and people who are willing to dive into that and look at those kids as as people as developing humans who have real value not only in the future but for who they are now well said <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, so, so John, let me bring you into this conversation then. Um, so why did you, you had these conversations for a long time? I, you know, we, we all, we all know that we've been struggling with subs, with ed techs, with just teachers, with educators in general, there's shortages everywhere. So you, you, you were part of this conversation for a while, I'm guessing.
3: Yeah, I think going back at least half a dozen years or so, um, Dr. Nesson, um, ran a teacher preparation program before she joined us in RSC 34. And so she brought that experience into the conversation. And I'm also part of a teacher preparation group for the Penobscot River Educational Partnership. I, I should say an educator pre- preparation group, which involves about 22 school districts and all the post-secondary institutions in our area, Huston University, Eastern Maine Community College, and the University of Maine. And so we've been, been working on trying to bridge the gap for quite some time. We have all of these post-secondary students a stone's throw from us. And we have tons of need in our school districts where we need more caring adults in our kids' lives. We need more after-school programming or summer programming and so on. And trying to bridge that gap to connect the two. Over time, that, that educator shortage has kept growing and growing. When I entered the field, there'd be a stack of applications for almost any position. And over the last 20 years, that stack has grown smaller and smaller. And the, the list of positions that are hard to fill keeps getting bigger and bigger. And now we're in a time where almost any position is pretty hard to fill we still find great people (laughs) we have to work really hard to do it and we know preach man yeah exactly we know we know every school district does and so as we kept honing these ideas um megan london jane Lockster camp from Easter main community college and and dr nesson and i and and some other colleagues um cheered on by by emily and, and folks like that were having conversations about how can we build this gradual release of responsibility model where we can get people into the field, help them get paying roles, you know, working either as a, as a paired substitute then a solo substitute, and then gradually earning those credentials as an EdTech one, ed tech two, EdTech three, and so on. So that they could gradually move into, if they choose move into teacher preparation, teacher certification programs as well. And so we had, we had some grand ideas that especially kind of, coming together over the last couple of years, applied for a few grants, went down in flames with those. Um, but the product of all those conversations was when there was an opportunity this summer where a big need and, and obviously COVID shook everything up. We had some ideas that were pretty ready to roll and morph into what you see here through the learning facilitator program. So
0: it's that I've, I've been using this quote a lot in my professional life um, a lot this year which is that yeah. quote by Winston Churchill that uh, you, you never want to miss a uh, let a crisis. Oh, never let a good crisis go to waste. That's what it That's is. Right. yeah Never let a good crisis go to waste. Absolutely. That's what this is. This is saying we've had this crisis of shortage for a while, right. for a long time, and we've been trying to figure out ways of doing it. You were going through the grant process, trying to do these other ways and brick wall upon brick wall upon brick wall. And then another crisis came along and provided an in.
3: Right.
0: It reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen any of you ever seen that uh, Dr. Randy Pausch last lecture, really achieving your childhood dreams. Um, it's one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I reference it often, um, but he talks about brick walls in that. And brick walls are not there for you. They're there for everyone else because brick walls show us how badly we want something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've always, hung on to that because you hit a bunch of brick walls. And a lot of times the people who didn't really give a hoot about it, they probably fell off, but you kept going. And when the opportunity came, you took it. And what you've created, it sounds to me, is an opportunity for, to do exactly what you all were hoping to do, which is build capacity. So how's it going?
1: Great. (laughs)
0: Okay, so that's it then. Um, yeah, that's it.
1: All done. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, we've we had a great response. And um, we, you know, actually have reached capacity for the program in the last week. Uh, so we agreed with the department to fund 180 participants. And we are now at 190 Um and so you know i think that that speaks to a the number of people who have been actually maybe seeking a pathway into education mm. for a while and not not seeing it you know it's a it's a complicated path to walk especially if you're in a non-traditional situation as as you talked about matt i was also in that position i have an english degree with a concentration in creative writing was my bachelor's degree about as useful so as you a and I can't do anything. Degree. <laughs> So, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it speaks to that, but I also think it speaks to, um, you know, there are lots and lots of people out there who are in a place where as long as they see the pathway that they can take, they're, they, they, they want to come and they want to do this. And Um, you know, we talked in the other podcasts about people needing support in any profession that they enter Mm -hmm. and how important that component is to becoming a part of a community and feeling like you want to stay. So, you know, I think I'm so thankful that Dr. Nessen and Dr. Doty have have been having these conversations with us for years and that we were in a place to really launch this um, and, you know, have a silver lining to this situation that we're in, in some ways that we can we can think about what it means now, but also what it means for mm-hmm. the long-term, you know? Um, and we've had, you know, I think a lot of success with the boot camps and we're very thankful to have Dr. Nesson uh, leading one of the community of practice uh, groups. And so I, you know, I don't know if you want to speak to your perspective about how that group is going for you, Gert, but, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of really wonderful relationships developing and and lots of good learning going on, at least in, in the, the group that I'm facilitating. So
2: I don't know, you wanna add your thoughts Gert there? I would love to. So I am am doing the middle school, high school community of practice. And um, I have had two meetings with them so far. And it has just been great, great conversation. We started off with what questions do you have about teaching middle school and high school? What questions do you have about the kids? What questions do you have about yourself as an educator at this level? And just started some very rich conversations. Um, the experiences they bring are are amazing. They're because they come from a variety of backgrounds. Because they come to teaching from a different place than mm-hmm. I did as an undergraduate, which, which was I just kind of fell into it and really had not thought about it. But these people have really thought about it, and they're looking for support, and they're looking to understand, and they're looking to do yeah. so well at it. And um, it it's just a rewarding thing and the other thing that i love about it i've taught a lot of college classes but this is really about supporting people to become capable exciting um changing professionals in in a way that college classes aren't so focused on all the time um sure. and it is whatever works for them is is what we are supposed to do and what a fun thing to do it's it's kind of like teaching middle school where you do whatever those kid those kids need, but it's with adults who want to become teachers. What do you need, and how can I help you get there?
0: So yeah, so many of us who grew up in the era, of like in the '70s and the '80s, before, you know, we grew up in an environment where you, your parents, your family, they had a job, and that was their job for life, right? But that's not the world now. That hasn't been the world for twenty years. And what it's really exciting to see is these opportunities for people who don't just go to college and they think like you said we'll fall into it or i, I know some people who got into education thinking as i was 18 years old and they're like this is what i want to do and by the time they were 22 they're like i don't want anything to do with this but now i have an education degree and what do i do now as opposed to the people who've had an english degree a creative writing degree a philosophy degree an engineering degree and then say no this is what i want to do now you have people who want to do this, who are gonna be passionate about it. And if we can give them an ease, an easier streamlined in approach and practical application approach, then what w- w- the benefit's gonna be, you have passionate, well-trained educators who give a hoot about what they're doing. And that's really what we want. And I mean, and, and, and Gert, John, I want you to talk about too about how you're? I mean, I know this is new. I know this is still kind of a a, a burgeoning, growing thing. But how is it looking at the ground level with the, with your teams, with your with your ed techs, with the mentors, with that program? How is that
3: playing out? Well, Dr. Nesson could tell you a lot more about the the ground level right now. But um, coming back to something you said a moment ago, Matt, the one of the things as we designed, as we ramped up our design over the last couple of years, was really focusing in on on a wide variety of deliberate experiences for Mm -hmm. people as they went through this gradual release of responsibility. I'm somebody I I sort of went through a traditional route into education. I was a a wildlife ecology major for a couple of years and then had an epiphany and decided I wanted to come into the field of education. And so my last two years at a four year school were focused on that and I graduated with a a K degree. Um, Over time, I thought I wanted to be an elementary educator, happened to be applying at a time when there were a gazillion applications out there, felt lucky to get my first job, at anyway, <laughs> happened I to be at a middle school and I absolutely loved it, absolutely loved it, and later on went into gifted and talented education and then shifted into a role where I was also working for um, students that needed different scaffolds and different supports and so on, and now I'm in this curriculum instruction assessment role where I'm I'm focusing on everybody. Um, but as, as we designed the experiences, we were trying to make sure we, we give, give people experience with gifted and talented that give people experience with special education, give mm. people experience with elementary and middle school and high school and so on, because people come into the field generally thinking they know where they want to end up, but not having tried almost any of the other things. And there may be a great love out there that they just haven't been exposed to yet. And even if they Truth, still end up at that spot that they thought they were going to be. That, that wealth of experiences from spending four weeks working intensively with this, four weeks working intensively with this, just helps to build their perspective of what it is we do in education in general and helps to build their, their uh, toolbox as an educator.
2: Thank you. Um, and from the ground, we have, I have two people in my cohort who are also ed techs at my school and um, starting to build that support network with those people, it really is a community of practice that we we have a different connection now, even after two classes than we had before those two classes. And I hope to carry that forward with all of the people in the community of practice is what what's going on in the jobs where you're at or, or what are you interested in? And to help you figure out what's going on in those jobs and, and how you can be better at those jobs and how you can be more of a part of the school, um, and so those those teachers are are part part of that community and more sure. part of the community than they were when we started.
0: So, the the people applying to that, here's a question uh, I've, I've been wondering: the people applying to this who are coming who are coming from doing this, um, it can come across from all over from Maine, can participate yep. in this, correct?
1: Yep, statewide. What, what,
0: what are you seeing in terms of their demographics or their location? Are they coming from more urban the areas like the Lewiston, the Bangors, the Portlands? Are they coming from more of the I mean I mean let's be honest, Maine's a very rural state. Those are our urban areas. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't have a Boston, but or do you are you finding more of like the Augusta area, I mean up in Skowhegan area? up uh, at Presque Isle, down Machias, where are you seeing people, is, is there? Is it just all over, a wide swath, it or has there been you see like a concentration? all
1: over. Yeah, it's all over. I mean, I think there were initial pockets of concentration in di- different places, um, you know, um, just based on uh, initial partner schools coming on, um, mm-hmm. and so we had a representation a bit in Southern Maine. Um, we had a local area representation, and um, we had a f- few folks from northern Maine um, and a few from central Maine. Now, um, when we sort of look at the totality of the 190 um, that we are either have served or are getting ready to serve in the upcoming upcoming boot camps, we actually have quite a wide reach. I mean, we have folks from all the way from Fort Kent um, to Saco, Wells, uh, you know, Southern, mm. way Southern Maine um, and, and also very, very rural schools. Um, and, and so, you know, we have been really interested and pleased with the, the response that we've had um, across that geographic span of the state. Uh, so, so yeah, it's very cool. Go ahead, Emily.
0: So, Megan, one of the things I'm thinking about is the importance of having that partnership with the school and the community. Mm -hmm. And so, how is that going in terms of getting partner schools involved, especially in those areas where you may have just had a few people apply?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had a really lovely response from the schools. um, And uh, I think we had mentioned, you know, in the first podcast that. Uh, You apply to become a partner school and you get a stipend to support the program, get technology Mm -hmm. to support the program and the students in the program. Um, And so there's certainly a benefit to schools, um, you know, signing on in that way. Um, We've been in touch with all kinds of schools. We've had schools um, or or districts calling us to see if we have people in the program that are in their area because they have needs. um, And we've been able to send folks to those schools. Um, We have other schools that have you know, talked about putting together a flyer to send to their parents um, and and sort of try to recruit more subs just locally from their own population and working in partnership that way. Um, We, you know, worked with Closely with other school human resource departments to help them to understand how to um, hire the folks that are in the program and how to classify them, and you know, I, there's just such a wide variety of conversations going on, um, and and so we find in some ways that we're supporting the schools where they're at too, um, in terms of understanding the program and whether they have engaged and then sent folks to us, or whether we have folks in their area, and then we're you know engaging those schools to get to get the folks into those schools. Um, so it, even that has been really an evolving process yeah. and an evolving relationship um, with superintendents and principals um, across the state. So, um, yeah.
0: So, so so, part of what we can do here is we can also say to things like, well, let's take, let's take an action step, which might be, are there areas of the state that we're not seeing a whole lot come from and that we'd like to see more because you know, whereas I like to say that only 17 people actually listen to this podcast, <laughs> I I have a tendency to I, I might think there might be a few more than that across the state of Maine. And in fact, I know one avid listener who lives in Rhode Island. So um, and by the way, hi, Stephanie, thank you for listening. Um, and so I'm wondering, is there a way that we can right now just say, hey, these are the areas that we want to see some more, we need to see more people coming in from or is it just like, Nope. Every county. Get in there.
1: I'm gonna be answering yes
0: to that one too, but
1: You know, I'll be honest that we had a, have had 154 applications in the past week, um, and so I have processed all of those in the last week. And I am a little bit my wow. my data set is I know we're spread all over. I mean, I can say that because I was shocked as I was processing the applications. Um, and so, okay. but at the moment, can I pinpoint a catchment area that maybe we we could have more representation in? Not necessarily, um, you know, just because of where I'm at in the term in terms of the data set. The thing that I do want to say, though, is that we, um, if we think about this from a perspective of diversity and equity, what we know is that um, not only do we have critical shortages in staff, we also have often critical shortages in representation of, um, you know, students seeing people who are like them across the board. So there's two things about that. Mm -hmm. I love that this program is pulling in people of very diverse backgrounds, whether they're coming from engineering or, you know, manufacturing or wherever they have come from in terms of career and, and sort of mindset. I think that's awesome for kids to see all of those different ways of thinking and all of those different ways of thinking still caring about growing good humans, you know? Uh, But then we also can think about it, you know, from a true diversity perspective in the sense of um, ethnicity, multiculturalism. um, And so, you know, we'd love to have more folks represented, um, you know, especially in the Portland, Westbrook, Lewiston area and across our school districts though, of a new Maynard population. I I think that we are serving some of those folks now and we would love to see an increase in that because I think it's really important for students to have both of those kinds of of diversity represented for them.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, given the fact that uh, that you're you're now making it very clear and open that there's a there it's not going to be required like a two or a four year degree to get started on this process. This is, there's a, there's a micro-credentialing system that is actually being uh, not only certified, but legitimized by the DOE. Um, I think that was, that's gonna open a lot of opportunities for folks who may historically have looked at the credentialing or certifying process through main DOE and said, oh, hell no. That's just, yeah. that's just too much. I don't, I, don't need to, I don't wanna jump through all those hoops. I mean, I know going through recertification is a pain. Just, and I've been already, just recerti- recertification, let alone initial certification I won't go through my horror story, um, but it was not good. Um, but, but, but this is providing an opportunity an, uh, a more streamlined direct opportunity to get people in. And I think that's going to potentially be that thing that, that be a catalyst to bring more people in, which is exactly, I think the, the purpose and what we're all as a curriculum leaders, as principals, as the department, as the, at, at, at the education, uh, college collegiate level, We need more people.
3: I think that's one of the things also where there are positions open right now, all across the state of Maine. You know, people who who are moving along in this program could start working as substitutes right now. You know, could start working as ed techs when they reach that credential right away. There are positions, you know, open all across the state and great opportunities to come. And once somebody becomes an educator, you know, with a school district, oftentimes that school district provides support for their ongoing learning. They and do so support for taking more college credits and things like that. And so if somebody wants to keep working on those, those courses, keep working on that career path, they can do a lot of that um, without great expense.
0: And I know a lot of rural school districts do something like if, if they have a lot of ed techs they will start build, they'll, they'll take substitutes, then they'll hire them as ed techs and then they'll, they'll, they'll go with their ed techs for a few years. Then they hire them as full on teachers and you build your career and you build an environment, you build a community where you are where you want to be. And that's how it happened. That's that. That's that, it's that homegrown educator, which is just is it's it's always been, but this but this seems like it's making it more um, applicable, practical, and well doable than it was before. Yeah, and this
1: that's the that that has been the vision of this program since we started talking about it, right? And uh, and so again, it just goes back to the the Winston Churchill quote where this. Period of time. This moment has just allowed us a vehicle for realizing that vision and getting you know a program going that we can have data to say does this work or or does this not work. Um, you know we've got an awesome assessment plan that we're building with the department so that measuring all kinds of things about mm. the effectiveness of the program and and where do people come in from where do people go from here. Um, another interesting data point that I've been immersed in is. Uh, we have had 85 inquiries to EMCC from participants in the program looking to get back into programming at the college level. Going off of John, what John said, I think our original vision always for this program since its inception, um, and, you know, John and Gert and Jane really were talking about it before I, I even joined the conversations. Um, but the original vision really was to have folks be in their communities, learn in their communities, learn on the job, um, and you know move to a place where they they would be able to complete the pathway wherever they came in, start working as ed techs and you know move through and become teachers if that was their desire. and and I you know this moment has just given us a way um. A, A point in time to be able to actually have this come to to fruition and really see its impact and assess where are people coming in, where are people exiting, um, how are they attaching to college if they weren't previously in college before they came into the program. You know, we're developing a really strong assessment plan with in partnership with the department, looking at all kinds of different data points about the program and its effectiveness. And, um, you know, I think we're just really excited to see the impact of people being able to, um, you know, come in in, at a different entry point and Mm -hmm. see where that takes them. Um, Our enrollment folks just let us know that we have had 85 inquiries um, into applications for the college and and connecting to coursework in the education department, uh, all, all connected to the learning facilitator program. So I think that, you know, really speaks already to where this can go and and how this can address our longer term needs. And, you know, it's because of this community, right? Uh, RSU 34's participation for all of these years in in helping us to vision this program, the Maine Community College System and their efforts in micro-credentialing, our partnership with DOE, partnership with University of Maine, right? And trying to work to extend this pathway into teacher certification, Um, all of those things are, we're so lucky to live in a state that's small enough to be able to really make these connections with each other and have them mm. be meaningful. And, um, you know, but yet has these minds that are big enough to have these innovative ideas and embrace them and and to see to see in, in times of challenge where we can all come together and support each other. Like I, I'm just a Mainer through and through. And I think that that's culturally part of, of who we are, right? And I, I just don't think we would be here without all of this work in the, this community that you've heard talking on this podcast over the its last three episodes, you know, and, and that just speaks to everybody's effort and, and how much we love our kids and how much we, we love our schools and our communities here.
0: So, final question and we'll, we'll wrap, we'll wrap things up is this podcast is aimed particularly at administrators, the administrative side principal, curriculum leader, assistant superintendent, superintendent, et cetera. If they wanted to leave here with a next step, what is that next step for them to take? If they wanted to participate or be a part of this program and I'll open it to anyone on the floor.
1: Well, I mean, I certainly think that we would love to converse uh, with those folks. I mean, if they're interested and they haven't been able to get people in because, you know, we've reached capacity and we're, you know, we're looking forward to think about how do we keep this program going with funding for learners? How do we, you know, what does that look like? uh, We certainly would love to talk with any administrator who is interested in having those conversations and helping us to think about that, right? I mean, we, we, what can this look like for everybody long-term and how can we all support each other to keep it going um, and, Mm -hmm. and fill the needs that are there and support the people that are there. Um, I guess that's what I would say. Is it, is it
0: possible to become for a district to, let's say, become a partner school first and then work to get people in, or do you have to get the people in first and then become the partner school?
1: No, it can work either way. Um, what we, you know, the the thing that we really ask, whether you start as a partner school and then and send folks to us, or we have folks, you know, that we would like to place with you and you become a partner school. What really matters about being a partner school is is that you're willing to work with us to figure out who is the who are the mentors at your school. Um, how do you get a, a person into a position, um, you know, that is is more of an ed tech level position so that they are feeling, you know, if they, people, some people are choosing to stay in the sub role, right? But if you have open positions that are at the ed tech level, working with us to understand that even if they don't have that ed tech certification right now, we're all here helping them to do that work and to grow in that way. And that, that they can be in those, those positions that are, you know, giving them support at a wage level that, is meaningful in their lives and, and growing their economic mobility. You know, um, as they move through the program and get to the point where they can become an EdTech three. So it's really about those developing those relationships with the schools and 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 making sure that we're able to have the mentorship. Um, you know, be really supportive and successful there with all of us helping to facilitate
3: that together.
0: John and Gert, I want to give you the last words.
3: I, I think I'd add into that just. Thinking of it as an investment in the the future of mm-hmm. your school district and your community's children, you know it's. I know we all know how how tough it is to keep up with the day to day in a normal year, especially in a in a pandemic. But continually investing time and energy, like Gert's investing a ton of time and energy this year in her role in this in this program, you know that's a great investment for RCU Thirty Four because that's going to help bring in the people that we need next year, and the year after that, and five years down the road, and ten years down the road. And so, I'd really encourage other school districts that that haven't taken those steps yet to think about that kind of investment because it will pay off in the long run for your community's children. And I just want to, you know, this is Thanksgiving week, and I'm so thankful for the the hard work and time and energy of of everybody here that the state has been so flexible, you know, in the pandemic in general, but, you know, especially in regards to this program. And Megan and Jane and Cynthia Gagan, at Eastern Maine Community College, working hard to, to make this work and heart artwork. And I appreciate your putting us on the podcast here, Matt, to share the news.
2: And um, oh. I would just to say, this is, it has been a gift. This whole program is a gift to us from DOE, from EMCC. Um, and it, it is a gift not only of helping us fill those positions, but in helping us build capacity in helping us build a community that we really want to go as a school, so it's not just filling positions; it's really um, building better places where kids can learn and be.
0: Well, I think that's a fantastic place to end it. Uh, we can't I can't really stop it? That's like one of those from the two of you right there. It's like mic drop moments and just walk away. Um, So if they wanted to, people wanted to get in contact with this, of course you just Google the learning facilitators program through Maine it's on the main DOE website. Um, We'll put links to it in the show notes etc or link to it via the Twitter page and whatnot. Um, Is there anything else that any of you wanted to say about the learning facilitator program before we wrap up this conversation this evening.
1: I think we're good we just thank you for having us once again.
0: Again, the the pleasure is mine. I wanna take especially thank well, thank Emily Dowdy and Megan London for their third time on the show. Thank you very much for for joining us and for talking us through this program and helping uh, to celebrate and share it out to the rest of uh, Maine and beyond. Um, And in particular, uh, Dr. Nessen and Dr. Doty, thank you so very much for not only being a part of this and sharing your experiences, but also for doing this work, for starting this work and for making this being the model that we can then, that other folks can look at and use to then mimic, copy, replicate, and then expand upon. So thank you very much.
2: Dave. Thank,
3: thank you, Matt.
0: And and with that, uh, if you wanna follow us on Twitter at Maine Ed Matters, that'd be great. Uh, or on Facebook at Maine Education Matters. And we will be back soon-ish. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, take care and bye. Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters. I'm your host, Matt Druett-Card. Thank you very, very, very much for joining us today. Uh, hope you're having an enjoyable time this winter because uh, as this is, this is coming out, it is going to be sometime probably January. You know what? Hey, Matt, we're gonna be restarting this because I don't like the way I introduced this. See, so this is one of the things that I can do. I can just tell Matt, no, we wanna cut all this so we can edit along the way. And he'll probably weave part of this in to be like, nope, this is the embarrassing stuff that we're gonna put in for Matt. So anyway, uh we're gonna restart again, Matt. Okay, here we go.